Hello and welcome. Welcome to the Earth Sea Love Podcast. This podcast is for and about women of colour and our relationship with nature. Hosted by me, Cherie Mack. The Earth Sea Love Podcast is committed to exploring the experiences of women of colour with Mother Nature. We want to provide spaces where the hidden voices in the environmental and conservation conversations can explore their relationship with the natural world. Inspired by our time spent outdoors, we amplify the voices of women of colour, our stories, our conversations, interviews, photography, writing and artwork. We'll be exploring our legacies, histories and memories which have had an influence and effect upon how we perceive ourselves within the natural world and within the environmental and climate justice movements. Welcome to the Earth Sea Love Podcast. The Earth Sea Love Podcast has been made possible by the funding from National Lottery Heritage Fund. Thank you. Black British mothers are five times more likely to die in childbirth than their white counterparts. 49% of black women ages 20 and older have heart disease. Nearly 50,000 black women die every year from cardiovascular diseases including heart disease and stroke. 13% of black women have type 2 diabetes. 56% of black women are considered obese, which drastically increases the risk factors for these chronic diseases. Overall, when you factor in certain cancers, Nearly 200,000 African Americans die from preventable chronic diseases every year. That's nearly 550 people a day in America, and the majority are women. I tell you these statistics because this is our reality. And this episode with me talking to Jola comes to you in two parts. The first part, we discuss Jola's presence here in the UK from Nigeria. The contrast of growing up in Nigeria and now living first in Durham and then Newcastle. And what she has gone through in terms of racism within the education system and the National Health Service here in the UK 
I've placed these in two halves because in parts it's heavy going as we talk about racism. But always a laugh there in the background, not too far away. And what is a beacon for Jola? Um, apart from nature, which we will explore in the second part, has been her relationship with the Angelou Centre. And the Angelou Centre is a black women's-led centre offering support, education, refuge for black and brown women of colour who find themselves in the northeast. And this is a rare place within the UK where black women are safe, feel safe, welcomed and loved. And we should have more places and spaces like this available to us where we live in a vile and violent society which looks upon our bodies with disgust. And cruelty. I hope you take the time to listen to this episode as well as the second episode, which will follow close upon its heels. Welcome to the Earthsea Love Podcast. Hello and welcome at the Earth Sea Love Podcast. Hello. Today is a such a special day. Because yeah. I don't know if you've looked on Tinternet today already, but we launched the whole shebang today. The oh. Earth Sea Love Podcast went live. At wow. Tw- yeah, at 12 a.m. this morning and we dropped boom four episodes all at once and um i'm so happy and i'm grateful that you're here and i'm happy and i'm grateful that there's so many people have downloaded it already so yeah so i'm so pleased that we're doing this now so we can mark the occasion even more so with talking to each other and connecting with each other over our love of nature (laughs) wow that's fantastic news that's exciting it is it is but jola let's talk about you today how have you been how you been keeping during these troubling times i know i know you can't tell me where you are specifically but have you got eyes on nature uh i've been up and down i noticed that because of isolation you know i've been my window faces (laughs) faces <laughs> an abandoned factory that's just like concrete walls without any windows for some reason they've like paved over the windows it's really creepy at night but um fortunately i'm within like walking distance to a park well a few parks actually so now i just go out i got some plants that i was trying to spruce my room up with get some green in there but i don't have a green thumb um i don't know maybe it's just really dry in my room 
Uh, they haven't been doing so well, so I put them all outside mm. to let nature take, you know, take care of itself. I, yeah. I don't seem to be able to do that. <laughs> uh. <laughs> I am. I have been with you like that in the past. I have mm. had a number of plants who have died on me, and mm. I haven't really been doing anything wrong. I don't think so. But what now. I've got cacti. Cacti are so hardy and they are flourishing on my kitchen windowsill. So I recommend getting some cacti. Um, I might do that, actually. Yeah. Because I got aloe and um, for some reason, like, the leaves just started, like, withering. And I thought maybe where I was putting them, I moved them to, like, my bookshelf, the top of my bookshelf. That wasn't working. Put them in the window. I just thought my room is just really dry. Mm-hmm. So I've got a humidifier, mm. but um, unfortunately, aloe didn't make it. So <laughs> <laughs> I call mine, mine have all different names. My past, my past aloe vera plant was called Ali, um, and, but he didn't make it. Um, and I put, I put him in that bedroom where it was supposed to be really good for purifying the air. Unless our air was so toxic that it just killed the so the poor thing, cause like it didn't, it went all soggy and droopy and no. So I've got a new one, but I haven't called him Ali, cause I don't think that would be respectful to call them yeah. all Ali's. <laughs> um, and he seems to be doing all right again on my kitchen window. I don't know if it's cause of the light that we get in there. Um, but I do a lot of time in the kitchen, so maybe it's because they like my company. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> maybe it could be like they like it. They like the activity of it all in the kitchen. Maybe. And they're like, oh, people, yes. Else <laughs> in the bedroom is like, sleep, no. <laughs> I, I might have a look down a few shops and see if I could get some cacti and mm. make some new friends. <laughs> yeah. No, that I would definitely go that way. So you don't have eyes on nature directly outside yeah. of your window, because so that yeah. so this must mean you are city centre based. But there are a few green spaces around in the city. I mean, I think we're yeah. we're pretty well catered for in Newcastle city centre, don't you think? For green spaces in the urban area. Yeah, I think we are, but we need more. <laughs> of course, of course, we 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 don't we don't ever have enough in the city but yeah we need more yeah. But yeah, yeah yeah but i think yeah we yeah we've we've got quite a few lovely spaces close by to me and like Lisa's park from nunsmore is quite an easy walk as well mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. it's just it's quite nice when you go out there and just you know you feel your spirit feeling so much better than mm-hmm. being trapped in a box or something mm-hmm. Yeah, it is a very trying time for a lot of people. Mm. And yeah, sucking, draining. But I totally get you. I mm. yeah, and I have been myself up and down during mm. this period, and I've found that I've been out there, and I mean out there physically, and then out there literally, like on social media or the website or writing, and then there's only so much I can give, and then I have to withdraw and come back in and and fill up my own well um make sure i'm taking care of myself and mm. and that is by you know making sure i'm drinking my enough water uh, getting some greens into me 
um, resting and then also journaling, leaning into my creative practice has been helpful. So just thinking about that, I mean, that's how we met in a sense. And I don't know Mm -hmm. if you want to talk a little bit here about the Angelou Centre, because I... I do believe that's how we met, that I came yeah. into the Angelou Centre to do some creative writing workshops with Ada, who's yeah. doing um, art. Um, mm. So do you want to talk a little bit about the Angelou Centre for our listeners who yeah. know nothing about this wonderful place? Yeah, so the, the Angelou Centre is a black women's led feminist organisation. It's run for and by um and it's basically like a safe space a home in newcastle for a lot of women um providing support in uh, different kinds of ways including well holistically including um training um uh, domestic violence support for women and their children um mental health support uh, you know, it's it's a community support. It's it's it does a lot of things that you can't really like just say, oh, they do only one this one thing because it connects into a whole host of things. Um, and a lot of the work also supports BME migrant women, um, who have come from outside of the UK or are currently living in the UK. Um, for different reasons, so like could be a vogue related to so violence against women and girls, um, and not just in terms of violence from one's community and one's family, it also uh, goes into state violence as well. Um, so it's an amazing space. I I personally didn't know about it. I was referred to the Andrew Center. Um, by someone from the click sergeant, so the cancer research, uh, cancer, young people's cancer, uh, like uh, what do you, social work, so support staff, um, uh, and once I heard the name Angelou, I was like, I, I love my Angelou, so yes, I'm gonna <laughs> go <laughs> and talk to someone. You know, it was such a welcoming space for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, I did meet you through that through the center because one of the first courses that I did enjoy was the art sessions, mm-hmm. so the creative arts um, through Ada. And I remember you coming in, and you were like this ray of sunshine, like <laughs> positive energy, like Poof. you know how I don't know if people watch like manga and stuff. It's like it's like. <laughs> you know it so it was really lovely and i was loving everything and the energy it just made me feel so much better mm-hmm. and i even talked to you know my friend who for a long time she'd been supporting me mm-hmm. and i said would you like to come <laughs> yeah you would love Shuri. you've got to come <laughs> so she came in and she was like oh Wow. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and you know, it's been such a an amazing experience getting to know you and you've introduced me to a lot of different people and mm. made me feel very at home and, mm. and connected in the community. But you've also got me out in nature again, yeah. which is something that I love doing, but I've been quite afraid to do. Yeah. Especially of recent of things changed yeah 
yeah thank you so much i mean like people think i got i get people on here the women on here to talk about me and talk about what i'm doing but it isn't the case right <laughs> but it is a case that i do i do foster a connection i do think with everyone who's on this podcast mm. and mm. and I can come into the Angelou Centre like a ray of sunshine because mm. the Angelou Centre, as you've said, is so welcoming. It's it's such a safe haven for mm. black, Asian and ethnic minority women's bodies mm. because that is a space where we feel safe, that we don't mm. have to keep looking at our back and to be looking to see what trouble's coming or what mm. violence is coming or what we go through this society carrying a lot of of pain and suffering but also fear yeah. Yeah, yeah on how our bodies are going to be seen and reacted to out there exactly. in society so once we get into the angelou center we can sort of like take that body armor off that um yeah. that no, no i don't want it, that bulletproof or knife proof vest that we have to cap like we 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 have around us as an armor mm. and in our mm. angelou center we can let it down and be ourselves and be our authentic self and that is why the angelou center is so important and so, so, yeah we must in the show links we must do a link to the angelou center and also mm. where they can make some donations to because it is a charity it relies yes, it it relies on funding from other bodies, public bodies, maybe mm. some from the government, but not enough. And mm. I know that they're going through a lot of um, work at the moment to mm. support women who are not recognised by the state. What is it called yeah. again? Those women with no... Re no recourse to public re funds. Yeah. yeah, no recourse to public funds. And that means that women who have might have been getting out of a domestic violent relationship and not recognized by the state for help and support so they are actually yeah. destitute they have no money coming in and they might be like this with children as well and this yeah. is where the angelou center pick up um these women and support them because they do supply um provide refuge spaces for these yes. women and they get they make sure that they get them back onto their feet by making sure that they have their legal status recognized that they get it some some link into some funding or education or some employment and mm. yeah i cannot rave enough about the angelou center so thank it's amazing and you said that you were referred there so you have yeah. been a client of theirs or a user of theirs mm. that's the the term that they use but then also mm. you are stepping up now to be there as a resource for other women you are a trainer or a leader now within that organization like as a women's champion who supports oh. other women and yeah. you know getting other women to also recognize like even those who have not heard about the center who have met outside when we do talk you can tell it's a domestic violence situation or any other form of violence going on then i do refer them i say look you know, there is this place you can go to and you will be safe and you can talk to people um, and not have to worry that, you know, someone's going to be judging you based on, oh, this person's not from here. So they definitely want something else out of it. No, I've just been traumatized. Don't try to re-traumatize me. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. I mean, I've, I've, I came to the center, I think 
in not 2006 2016 oh man i wasn't even in the uk in 2006 <laughs> um but yeah so i i've had a, a lot of support through the center and you are right in terms of like you can drop off all of this armor or protective shelling that you've got because when i came in i i was in i was in pieces i was crying i couldn't there was just a lot going on at the time for me mm-hmm. um, and they were really understanding and they listened to what I was saying and they could understand without me having to explain my experience. Yeah, and that's uh, so important to be in mm-hmm. a space with other women that look like you and understand experience so you don't have mm-hmm. to go through that all that rigmarole of educating exactly. them first or trying to explain yourself. It's not just trying to explain yourself, it's trying for for them to see your very existence or being. Or they don't understand why you've reacted to certain things this way or what you're doing and they find it a little bit odd. They just think you're a bit... Mm. They don't actually see you as you. For, there's caricatures of you that they just accept and that's it. Where did you come from to come to the UK and why did you come to the um, UK? If you're willing to share that. Yeah, so I, I came from Nigeria. I was born um, and mainly raised in Nigeria. In Lagos, Nigeria, I was born there. But I wasn't really raised as much in Lagos um, because my family moved around a lot. Um, so one of the things about my upbringing was the... I did have bits of nature around me. Mm-hmm. Um, so the areas where we lived had green spaces and the houses had green spaces as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you talk about a house, but most of the land was green. We had trees and and bushes, berries, mangoes, um, papaya, everything that you could kind of like and the grass was yeah so we had ladybugs and <laughs> stray cats <laughs> and just animals of all kinds um but the one thing that I did want to do a lot when I was growing up was to actually go out more into bigger green spaces because Nigeria is known for rainforests and um, you know, wild animals used to be da- a lot of dangerous animals, but still, um, I wanted to go out and see that, uh, and my parents didn't approve. <laughs> they just said, you know, there's this idea in Nigeria: if you go hiking or you go camping in Nigeria, you just disappear. You know, you die. You, like it's there's a it's it's bad. Don't you do it? You know. I wanted to do all the stuff. You know? <laughs> Are you like, saying that's an idea or a tradition or an actuality? Yeah, it's like a belief. I, I don't even, I think it's not true 100%. I mean, I'm not saying it, there aren't dangers. I mean, being a woman in Nigeria and going out on your own to camp in the forest, I, I would say is very dangerous. Um, in certain situations and in certain areas, mm-hmm. but there is this mad, you know, I fear that is put. Even if you're doing it as a group, even if you're doing it with friends or in the sm- you don't have to go deep into the jungle, <laughs> you know. But 
the idea of even going to a park uh, from my parents perspective was not, not acceptable okay and uh, just to come in there is that from a gender point of view i think it's a gendered point of view yeah. okay yeah uh so so gender-based violence in my country mm-hmm. and people don't sometimes don't see it as that however when you question what they're doing and you say well well he's allowed to do it why, mm-hmm. why am i not mm-hmm. then it, it, yeah you know um but i think even camping idea for men younger men boys wasn't seen as okay but it was still allowed mm. you know like boys were allowed to join the scouts and stuff and I, I i wasn't so i always loved nature and wanted to be out there more but you know because of all these fears and concerns that was not allowed you know i remember camping in quotations was not camping it was going to a religious event and sleeping in a in a house that was, that's not camping <laughs> in another house with different people and i wanted the tent experience i wanted to do that kind of stuff mm-hmm. and you know it, it was a religious thing not in the wilderness it was in a residential area yeah and uh, so it was just like being trapped in the city. And then I came here. Um, I came to the UK mainly for study. Uh, as a, I came here as a student. I lived in London first. Uh, and initially, I didn't. I thought the UK was strange because there was less green one in, in London. Um, I found it strange how the gardens were... And then there weren't a lot. There wasn't a lot of greenery going on. So what and did I you? Thought, sorry, you just cut out. What did you say about the gardens? The gardens were the gardens were small. Oh, okay. so the back gardens, yeah, were really small. Mm-hmm. But the, you know, you didn't have, you know, a lot of green going on mm-hmm. outside. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I thought very. It was very strange initially, um, and had to get used to living in London for a while mm. and I think going to the parks like the bigger parks was okay but it wasn't for me it felt very not it didn't feel as good as coming up north if okay. you know what I mean it felt a bit removed that people were so removed from nature um you know my standard commute was on trains and all I saw were tall buildings and, um, you know, there wasn't greenery in a lot of spaces Mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. go to college. Mm -hmm. Even the the college um, sitting park, they only had like six trees, small trees. And I thought, well, this is supposed to be where people come out to have a break after classes. How Mm. do you refresh your brain? How do you wash your money? You know? Um, But after a while, you know, I I, I did feel homesick, to be fair, initially. Mm -hmm. Um, But there were other reasons that made me feel a bit more comfortable here. So in terms of my acceptance of self, Mm. and independence Mm. removal from 
a very restricted controlling sort of situation, but also in terms of acceptance of oneself and their sexual orientation Mm -hmm. and their gender, who they are. And that was something that I felt a bit more connected to here. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I didn't feel like people were going to just turn around the clothes I was wearing um, or, or you know, say those kinds of things. However, the other side of it was I was now a black woman in a white majority country Mm. and people didn't really see me as me anymore. They just saw my my body, basically. I wasn't. Yeah. And and it was because coming from Nigeria, majority black country, you know, uh, is very diverse in culture, names and you know, people can easily point out your identity just from your name. Mm-hmm. They know who you are mm-hmm. and, you know, and where you come from. But here it was, I was different. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was very strange initially. And I, when I was looking for universities, I visited a lot of places. But Durham caught my attention because of its greenery. Uh-huh. So initially, I was like, "Well, oh, there's loads of trees here. I like it here. <laughs> there's a river. Oh God, this is this is great." Yeah. Um, I, I I just thought, you know, initially, and I know that's not what everyone looks at when they pick a university, <laughs> but it was important. <laughs> it was important to you. So Durham, though, has it has its greenery, but it also comes with its own problems. Um, yes. You know. Ne- Durham is a northern, it's it's a northern city, apparently, because it has a cathedral, so it's classed as a city, but in a lot of ways, it's still very insular and narrow in its views yeah. and traditions. Um, that's yeah. me just going into Durham to visit, but you were actually living there for how long? For five years. Five yeah. Yes, five years. Um, I went up there. Um, I was I had a tour with my sister, and she lived in Newcastle at the time. She was mm-hmm. studying here, mm-hmm. and she. I remember the first question she turned and said, "Jola, Jola." <laughs> yes, she said, "Where are all the black people?" <laughs> <laughs> and I said, uh, uh, "Don't know." <laughs> I said, "Maybe because it's holidays or something," you know. I, I was trying to envision, like, you know, it, it's going to be similar to London to some extent in terms of diversity, but that wasn't the case. So mm. the Durham mindset, yeah, especially for students, is what they call the Durham buzz, bubble. Uh-huh. And it is kind of like people are trapped in this social idea of what they think and what they, how they feel and what they feel and think therefore becomes true in that bubble yeah and then people started using terms of casual racism and you know casual it's just casual you know it's not like I have bad intentions towards you it's not like I I'm harassing you you know I'm making you uncomfortable in this space so just lighten up you've just it's you that's got the problem man it's casual Exactly, you know, but when you point it out, if people, p- 
people just think, oh, no, don't be upset, you know, or you misunderstand, or, you know, it's just because of my experience from the fact that I'm well-traveled, um, you know, I, I can say all these horrifying things or, you know, believe all these horrifying things. Um, and that was mentally draining. Mm. I mean, I I was already dealing with a lot in terms of my family and my education, mm-hmm. and then that Durham itself as a space in terms of some of the students I experienced wasn't welcoming to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did end up taking up roles that were geared towards making international students feel welcomed. So mm-hmm. I ran for international rep and I tried my best to make people feel that Durham was their own space too. Oh, gosh, you yes. deserve to be there, um, you know, and don't let anyone try to <laughs> take that away from you. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was very, very removed. Yeah, mm-hmm. there were certain things that people did or felt they were okay to do. I remember it was in my first year, one of the stu- senior students, for some reason, grabbed my bum and thought it was okay. And when I called him out on it, he blatantly just denied it. And he was like, oh, it's all in my head. Yeah. And, you know, it turned into a, oh, maybe Jola's just being spiteful kind of thing, you know, because I am a black woman. I'm not supposed to be as attractive, you know. So therefore, um, you know, he's he's in the right because why would he do that to me? Which was horrible. But I also had people that, uh, fortunately, I made friends who had a brain um, <laughs> and emotional consciousness to say, "No, this isn't. This is not right." Mm. Um, and I, one of the experiences I had was at a one of our college college days, and we we were all sat in this marquee, and my friend and I were getting colors, which is like an award. Mm-hmm. And everyone, people were drunk and, you know, sat down. But some people were late. Um, I was focused on the event and apparently this the other man was pissed off that I was sat down. And he said, you know, like, if things were the right way, I would be serving the tables and cleaning up the tables and not sitting down. Or better yet, I should be sat on the floor. And he said that within your hearing, to your face. Within my hearing, which was like, my friend sat, my best friend was sat next to me. I didn't even focus or hear any of that. Mm. But then she turned red with anger Mm. and just said, what? What? And I said, oh, come, what's happening? You know, (laughs) I I didn't know what was going on until Mm -hmm. she explained it to me. And then I got angry mm. and, you know, angry black woman stereotypes started to come up. And um, I told the college president, actually, what had happened. Mm-hmm. And I said, look, I don't know the boy's name. I, my friend can describe him to you because she was the one who heard this. And, mm-hmm. you know, he, he just kind of told me to let it go. Like, you know, they're just drunk boys and... You know, you you can't really do anything because you didn't hear it and, you know, just let it go. And I remember going home that day and I wrote a poem about it. 
mm-hmm. about how I felt and how ignorant that person was, but how violated I felt as well mm-hmm. that someone would just turn and say that so openly and think that and open and I think that that's okay and it's acceptable and that he would get away with it and he did get away with it he did get away with it I felt really unwelcome in that space Mm -hmm. yeah Um, but afterwards I moved on um, and this changed my course um, I lived in Durham still for a while until I became ill. Um, I, I was diagnosed later with ovarian cancer. And my experience at the hospital was, at Durham Hospital, was terrible. I remember crying in pain because the tumor was crushing my ovary. Um, and one of the nurses said to me, um, you know, you're a black woman, you shouldn't, <laughs> you shouldn't be crying, screaming out so much. You're stronger. You're stronger oh, yeah. than this. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's another one of those stereotypes, isn't it? That we can yeah. take the pain. Yeah, and we can handle the pain. She was supposed to give me uh, regular pain medicine um, whilst I was in the hospital. And I was, like, you know, in shock that she would say that to me. Yeah. Um, but not as much as other people would be in shock of because I, I, I it's now norm, normalized in a sense mm. that I should expect abuse when I go out. It, I mean, just, just to pick up on that, and I think that feeds into what you were saying, that the idea of you came here and it was strange to be a black body in the white majority when you're used to being... Mm you know at home in nigeria being the majority and it's not an issue that you're black and when i'm hearing that i'm the other way around i'm used to being in a predominantly white society so i've got these these traits or adaptations to help me um, maneuver in this society and it wasn't until i went to the caribbean i was in a majority of black bodies and i was prime according to the men because they saw me as attractive i had meat on my bones and Mm. i was prime as in case Mm. of a woman that you know they fancied that sort of thing Mm. and that was Mm. such a a weird way of actually being looked upon with desire and as a good thing or as attractive as beautiful Mm. and so then when you're saying that it's normalized here to Mm. accept the treatment that black Mm. and brown bodies receive from the education system, from the health yeah. system, and that to kick up a fuss or to actually, or actually to expect a more higher level or even just a normal equal level of care and understanding mm-hmm. and, and treatment is mm-hmm. just, that is crazy. That is crazy yeah. thinking, you know, uh-huh. accept except the normal is, is this is the way that you get treated in the system because you are not recognised as as a human being with feelings. No, exactly. With sensibilities, with any worth of value, to be treated mm-hmm. with any worth of value. And mm. that, that just so pisses me off. <laughs> and, <laughs> <laughs> Trust me, I do too. It's yeah. very... Um, frustrating? Frustrating upsetting 
disgusting, just sad as well. On the other side of the people who believe that they, yes, they, 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 there is their privilege that they get from this, but I think it's sad that you, you close your eyes to such a brilliant experience that you could have. The fact that people are like, oh, well, you know, this, this isn't your country, so, you know, don't talk to me about anything about the fact that we have such a vile system is very, very disturbing. The fact that you are human means you are evolving every day and you should be seeking betterment of others and yourself. It's very disturbing. <laughs> it's how I, that I just experiencing that in the health service. I was I was sad to see that, and I wondered how many black women have died in hospital because mm. someone was careless and mm. horrible and racist enough mm. to think, well, you know, she's she's probably in less pain. Don't give her the medication. Don't give her the 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 thing or move to a cesarean, even though her blood pressure spiked. Um, you know it. It's crazy. We know um, those, those those statistics have been coming out now that people are actually recording them. That yeah. there is, isn't it? That it's four times more likely that a a black woman would die in childbirth, um, yeah. and the child born you know stillborn and it is because it's like when black women are in labor it's when they're saying hey this is happening to my body will you listen i don't feel right something's not right um can i get some extra help here can it's like we are not heard we are not listened to and we are not heard and you know i just get an image now of being in some kind of glass vacuum and you're yep. screaming and banging and you know hurting yourself to be heard by those who yep. are just looking in and just having that attitude well nothing to see here nothing to yeah. hear here let's just move along she's fine you know she's overreacting yeah, and, yeah. Yeah. It's dangerous. It's dangerous. life. Like I, I say to everyone that I meet, whenever they have any symptoms of uh, um, what I believe to be a symptom that could lead to a cancer uh, diagnosis, I always push them to go to the doctors, mm-hmm. and they say, "Well, the doctor sent me back," and I said, "Look, I wouldn't be here if I didn't refuse to leave my GP's office." Yes. I sat in my GP's office and she kept telling me it's trapped wind. And trapped I said, wind? Yeah. I look pregnant. My body belly's swollen. I'm in pain. I can't sleep. It's been like this for weeks. Yeah, she said it was trapped wind. And she did some tests. She did a urine test and a blood test for pregnancy. And she said, well, you're not pregnant. I said, well, duh. <laughs> 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 I said I wasn't if you were listening. Yeah. And then she wanted me to go home. Um I said I wasn't going to leave until she did something. And she I remember her look. She put both palms up in the air and she was swiveling around in her chair going, I don't think there's anything I can do for you. Basically it's all in your head. And I said, No, I'm not leaving until you do something. So she sent me to the hospital for an x ray. 
And it was the assessment nurse, a white lady, Irish descent lady, uh, who actually said, oh, to be honest with you, you need an ultrasound, not an x-ray. You don't need an x-ray of your chest. You need an ultrasound of your belly, you know, because that's what's swollen. Um, so that was how they found um, Fred, my tumor. <laughs> they found Frederick <laughs> laying <laughs> floating in a vacuum of water. And that was the end one of the episode with Jola please take a listen to part two where you'll find out more about Fred and Jola's recovery from cancer and how nature helped her to recover thanks for listening bye for now